Section 8 of Tales of Unrest, Second Part of the Idiots. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Tales of Unrest by Joseph Conrad, Second Part of the Idiots. Jean-Pierre had surrendered to his wife's mother. Madame Lavelle was a woman of business, known and respected within a radius of at least fifteen miles. Thick-set and stout, she was seen about the country, on foot or in an acquaintance's cart, perpetually moving, in spite of her fifty-eight years, in steady pursuit of business. She had houses in all the hamlets. She worked quarries of granite. She freighted coasters with stone, even traded with the Channel Islands. She was broad-cheeked, wide-eyed, persuasive in speech, carrying her point with the placid and invincible obstinacy of an old woman who knows her own mind. She very seldom slept for two nights together in the same house, and the wayside inns were the best places to inquire in as to her whereabouts. She had either passed, or was expected to pass there at six, or somebody, coming in, had seen her in the morning, or expected to meet her that evening. After the inns that command the road, the churches were the buildings she frequented most. Men of liberal opinions would induce small children to run into sacred edifices to see whether Madame Lavelle was there, and to tell her that so-and-so was in the road waiting to speak to her about potatoes, or flour, or stones, or houses, and she would curtail her devotions, coming out blinking and crossing herself into the sunshine, ready to discuss business matters in a calm, sensible way across a table in the kitchen of the inn opposite. Latterly she had stayed for a few days several times with her son-in-law, arguing against sorrow and misfortune with composed face and gentle tones. Jean-Pierre felt the convictions imbibed in the regiment torn out of his breast, not by arguments, but by facts. Striding over his fields he thought it over. There were three of them, three, all alike. Why? Such things did not happen to everybody, to nobody he ever heard of. One might pass, but three? all three, forever useless, to be fed while he lived, and what would become of the land when he died? This must be seen to. He would sacrifice his convictions. One day he told his wife, see what your God will do for us. Pay for some masses. Susan embraced her man. He stood unbending, then turned on his heels and went out. But afterwards, when a black sotane darkened his doorway, he did not object, even offered some cider himself to the priest. He listened to the talk meekly, went to mass between the two women, accomplished what the priest called his religious duties at Easter. That morning he felt like a man who had sold his soul. In the afternoon he fought ferociously with an old friend and neighbor who had remarked that the priest had the best of it, and were now going to eat the priest-eater. He came home disheveled and bleeding, and happening to catch sight of his children, they were kept generally out of the way, cursed and swore incoherently, banging the table. Susan wept. Madame Lavelle sat serenely unmoved. She assured her daughter that it will pass, and taking up her thick umbrella, departed in haste to see after a schooner she was going to load with granite from her quarry. A year or so afterwards the girl was born. A girl. Jean-Pierre heard of it in the fields, and was so upset by the news that he sat down on the boundary wall and remained there till the evening, instead of going home as he was urged to do. A girl! He felt half-cheated. However, when he got home, he was partly reconciled to his fate. One could marry her to a good fellow, not to a good-for-nothing, but to a fellow with some understanding and a good pair of arms. Besides, the next may be a boy, he thought. 
of course they would be all right his new credulity knew of no doubt the ill luck was broken he spoke cheerily to his wife she was also hopeful three priests came to that christening and madame lavale was godmother the child turned out to be an idiot too then on market days jean-pierre was seen bargaining bitterly quarrelsome and greedy then getting drunk with taciturn earnestness then driving home in the dusk at a rate fit for a wedding but with a face gloomy enough for a funeral sometimes he would insist on his wife coming with him and they would drive in the early morning shaking side by side on the narrow seat above the helpless pig that with tied legs grunted a melancholy sigh at every rut the morning drives were silent but in the evening coming home jean-pierre tipsy was viciously muttering and growled at the confounded woman who could not rear children that were like anybody else's susan holding on against the erratic swayings of the cart pretended not to hear once as they were driving through ploughmar some obscure and drunken impulse caused him to pull up sharply opposite the church the moon swam amongst light white clouds the tombstones gleamed pale under the fretted shadows of the trees in the churchyard even the village dogs slept only the nightingales awake spun out the thrill of their song above the silence of graves jean-pierre said thickly to his wife what do you think is there he pointed his whip at the tower in which the big dial of the clock appeared high in the moonlight like a pallid face without eyes and getting out carefully fell down at once by the wheel he picked himself up and climbed one by one the few steps to the iron gate of the churchyard he put his face to the bars and called out indistinctly hey there come out jean return return entreated his wife in low tones he took no notice and seemed to wait there the song of nightingales beat on all sides against the high walls of the church and flowed back between stone crosses and flat gray slabs engraved with words of hope and sorrow hey come out shouted jean-pierre loudly the nightingale ceased to sing nobody went on jean-pierre nobody there a swindle of the crows that's what this is nobody anywhere i despise it Alas! hoop he shook the gate with all his strength and the iron bars rattled with a frightful clanging like a chain dragging over stone steps a dog nearby barked hurriedly jean-pierre staggered back and after three successive dashes got into his cart susan sat very quiet and still he said to her with drunken severity see nobody i've been made a fool Mulher! somebody will pay for it the next one i see near the house i will lay my whip on on the black spine i will i don't want him in there he only helps the carrion crows to rob poor folk i am a man we will see if i can't have children like anybody else now you mind they won't be all all we'll see she burst out through the fingers that hid her face don't say that jean don't say that my man he struck her a swinging blow on the head with the back of his hand and knocked her into the bottom of the cart where she crouched thrown about lamentably by every jolt he drove furiously standing up brandishing his whip shaking the reins over the gray horse that galloped ponderously making the heavy harness leap upon his broad quarters the country rang clamorous in the night with the irritated barking of farm dogs that followed the rattle of wheels all along the road a couple of belated wayfarers had just time to step into the ditch at his own gate he caught the post and was shot out of the cart head first the horse went on slowly to the door at susan's piercing cries the farmhands rushed out she thought him dead 
but he was only sleeping where he fell and cursed his men who hastened to him for disturbing his slumbers autumn came the clouded sky descended low upon the black contours of the hills and the dead leaves danced in spiral whirls under naked trees till the wind sighing profoundly laid them to rest in the hollows of bare valleys and from morning till night one could see all over the land black denuded boughs the boughs gnarled and twisted as if contorted with pain swaying sadly between the wet clouds and the soaked earth the clear and gentle streams of summer days rushed discolored and raging at the stones that barred the way to the sea with the fury of madness bent upon suicide from horizon to horizon the great road to the sands lay between the hills in a dull glitter of empty curves resembling an unnavigable river of mud jean-pierre went from field to field moving blurred and tall in the drizzle or striding on the crests of rises lonely and high upon the gray curtain of drifting clouds as if he had been pacing along the very edge of the universe he looked at the black earth at the earth mute and promising at the mysterious earth doing its work of life in death-like stillness under the veiled sorrow of the sky and it seemed to him that to a man worse than childless there was no promise in the fertility of the fields that from him the earth escaped defied him frowned at him like the clouds sombre and hurried above his head having to face alone his own fields he felt the inferiority of man who passes away before the clod that remains must he give up the hope of having by his side a son who would look at the turned-up clods with a master's eye a man that would think as he thought that would feel as he felt a man who would be part of himself and yet remain to trample masterfully on that earth when he was gone he thought of some distant relations and felt savage enough to curse them aloud they never he turned homewards going straight at the roof of his dwelling visible between the inlaid skeletons of trees as he swung his legs over the stile a cawing flock of birds settled slowly on the field dropped down behind his back noiselessly and fluttering like flakes of soot that day madame lavelle had gone early in the afternoon to the house she had near curvanion she had to pay some of the men who worked in her granite quarry there and she went in good time because her little house contained a shop where the workmen could spend their wages without the trouble of going to town the house stood alone amongst rocks a lane of mud and stones ended at the door the sea winds coming ashore on stonecutter's point fresh from the fierce turmoil of the waves howled violently at the unmoved heaps of black boulders holding up steadily short-armed high crosses against the tremendous rush of the invisible in the sweep of the gales the sheltered dwelling stood in a calm resonant and disquieting like the calm in the centre of a hurricane on stormy nights when the tide was out the bay of fauger fifty feet below the house resembled an immense black pit from which ascended mutterings and sighs as if the sands down there had been alive and complaining at high tide the returning water assaulted the ledges of rock in short rushes ending in bursts of livid light and columns of spray that flew inland stinging to death the grass of pastures the darkness came from the hills flowed over the coast put out the red fires of sunset and went on to seaward pursuing the retiring tide the wind dropped with the sun leaving a maddened sea and a devastated sky the heavens above the house seemed to be draped in black rags held up here and there by pins of fire madame lavelle for this evening the servant of her own workmen tried to induce them to depart an old woman like me ought to be in bed at this late hour she good-humouredly repeated the quarry men drank asked for more they shouted over the table as if they had been talking across a field 
At one end, four of them played cards, banging the wood with their hard knuckles and swearing at every lead. One sat with a lost gaze, humming a bar of some song, which he repeated endlessly. Two others in a corner were quarreling confidentially and fiercely over some woman, looking close into one another's eyes as if they had wanted to tear them out but speaking in whispers that promised violence and murder discreetly, in a venomous sibilation of subdued words. The atmosphere in there was thick enough to slice with a knife. Three candles burning about the long room glowed red and dull like sparks expiring in ashes. The slight click of the iron latch was at that late hour as unexpected and startling as a thunderclap. Madame Lavelle put down a bottle she held above a liqueur glass. The players turned their heads. The whispered quarrel ceased. Only the singer, after darting a glance at the door, went on humming with a stolid face. Susan appeared in the doorway, stepped in, flung the door to, and put her back against it, saying half aloud, Mother! Madame Lavelle, taking up the bottle again, said calmly, Here you are, my girl. What a state you are in! The neck of the bottle rang on the rim of the glass, for the old woman was startled, and the idea that the farm had caught fire had entered her head. She could think of no other cause for her daughter's appearance. Susan, soaked and muddy, stared the whole length of the room towards the men at the far end. Her mother asked, What has happened? God guard us from misfortune. Susan moved her lips. No sound came. Madame Lavelle stepped to her daughter, took her by the arm, looked into her face. In God's name, she said shakily, what's the matter? You have been rolling in mud. Why did you come? Where's Jean? The men had all got up and approached slowly, staring with dull surprise. Madame Lavelle jerked her daughter away from the door, swung her round upon a seat close to the wall. Then she turned fiercely to the men. Enough of this. Out you go. You others, I close. One of them observed, looking down at Susan collapsed on the seat. She is one may say, half dead. Madame Lavelle flung the door open. Get out! March! she cried, shaking nervously. They dropped out into the night, laughing stupidly. Outside, the two Lotharios broke out into loud shouts. The others tried to soothe them, all talking at once. The noise went away up the lane with the men, who staggered together in a tight knot, remonstrating with one another foolishly. Speak, Susan, what is it? Speak, entreated Madame Lavelle as soon as the door was shut. Susan pronounced some incomprehensible words, glaring at the table. The old woman clapped her hands above her head, let them drop, and stood looking at her daughter with disconsolate eyes. Her husband had been deranged in his head for a few years before he died, and now she began to suspect her daughter was going mad. She asked, pressingly, Does Jean know where you are? Where is Jean? He knows he is dead. What? cried the old woman. She came up near and peering at her daughter, repeated three times, What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Susan sat dry-eyed and stony before Madame Lavelle, who contemplated her, feeling a strange sense of inexplicable horror creep into the silence of the house. She had hardly realized the news, further than to understand that she had been brought in one short moment face to face with something unexpected and final. It did not even occur to her to ask for any explanation. She thought, accident, terrible accident, blood to the head, fell down a trap door in the loft. She remained there, distracted and mute, blinking her old eyes. Suddenly Susan said, I have killed him. For a moment the mother stood still, almost unbreathing, but with composed face. 
The next second she burst out into a shout. You miserable madwoman! They will cut your throat! She fancied the gendarmes entering the house, saying to her, We want your daughter. Give her up. The gendarmes, with the severe hard faces of men on duty, she knew the brigadier well, an old friend, familiar and respectful, saying heartily, To your good health, madam, before lifting to his lips the small glass of cognac, out of the special bottle she kept for friends. And now? Was she losing her head? She rushed here and there, as if looking for something urgently needed, gave that up, stood stock still in the middle of the room, and screamed at her daughter, Why? Say! Say why? The other seemed to leap out of her strange apathy. Do you think I am made of stone? She shouted back, striding towards her mother. No, it's impossible, said Madame Lavale in a convinced tone. End of Second Part of the Idiots